This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Good evening. Uh, My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem. I want to welcome you as well as Austin did. And um, we are looking at the book of Luke during Advent. And this is a a story that fits really well with Advent because um, when you think about the Good Samaritan, uh, the thing that immediately comes to mind is um, volunteering at the Samaritan soup kitchen or uh, packing up those shoe boxes for you know, uh, Samaritan's Purse Ministry, um, or maybe going down um, to the Salvation Army, helping them out, the guys ringing the bells um, in front of Harris Teeter and stuff like that. When we think about the Good Samaritan, uh, we think about all these things, um, these ministries all around the world, throughout the history of Christendom, um, and especially at Advent, where we're helping those who are in need. And that's great. Um, But if you were reading carefully or listening carefully, uh, you you might have noticed that's not the point of the parable. Um, That's a secondary point of the parable, but it's not primarily a parable about uh, showing mercy to others, although again, that's very important. Um, It's primarily about receiving mercy, especially from someone you don't expect to receive it from at all. And so um, Jesus told this parable to his disciples and to this lawyer Uh, when they were up in Samaria heading down to Jerusalem. And if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, the disciples were were calling down fire upon the Samaritans. So the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. Uh, The Jews looked down on the Samaritans and despised the Samaritans. And and so here's Jesus telling the lawyer and the disciples a story about a good Samaritan who is helping a helpless Jewish person. And so you see right there the way he flips things. And uh, I think at Advent, it's a time where this tiny little helpless baby comes into the world and he shows mercy to people like us who think that we're strong. So the only way that you can be a good Samaritan and show mercy to people and be sustained in that is if you understand uh, that you desperately need mercy and that you have received that mercy in the gift of this child of Jesus Christ. So I wanna look at those two things. First of all, we need mercy, and then second of all, we have received that mercy in Christ. So um, it's very important that you understand the context here. A lawyer uh, who was a scribe, probably a Pharisee, who was concerned about the ministry of Jesus, he stood up and he put Jesus to the test, which is a a negative phrase, meaning he was putting him on trial. Uh, He was treating him like a, a kindergartner. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's not really a question. Again, he's he's seeing if Jesus knows what he's talking about. And uh, the lawyer's answer, 
Uh, and the answer for most of the Jewish people of his day who are rabbis would have been you, you keep the Ten Commandments. Um, you keep the Ten Commandments perfectly or almost perfectly, and that is how you would inherit eternal life. Uh, but he wants to see if Jesus knows the right answer, and he's pretty sure that Jesus doesn't know the right answer because the lawyer is very concerned about the way that Jesus is handling or mishandling eternal life because Jesus is just going around passing out eternal life like it's candy, you know, to anyone who wants it, to people who are not keeping the law, uh, who are not keeping the Ten Commandments. So he's welcoming tax collectors among his disciples. He's forgiving prostitutes and welcoming them into his disciples' He's helping out Roman centurions. These are people that uh, they did, the lawyer would not have considered as worthy of eternal life. And yet Jesus keeps telling these people that by his mercy, they are saved. And essentially the lawyer is putting Jesus on trial here for being too merciful because the lawyer doesn't think that he needs that much mercy. And you've got to ask yourself right now, are you like that? Are you frustrated with the way that God hands out mercy willy-nilly because you don't think you need that much mercy? The lawyer actually thinks that um, he can keep the law. He thinks he can keep the law. And uh, he thinks that if he can water the law down a little bit, you know, if he can limit the the demands of the law a little bit, um, then he can keep it. Uh, If he's not indicted by the law, then he can keep it. And we all kind of do this. Um, I saw a CNN article that said how Bernie Sanders became a millionaire. And if you know Bernie Sanders, uh, he is a critic of billionaires. Uh, You don't have to hear him very long to to know that. He's always talking about how the greedy, super rich are, uh, you know, are are swindling our our country, Um, which is, I think, a fair point. But then you come to find out in the CNN article that he is worth $2.5 million. And um, obviously Bernie Sanders, uh, like so many of us, I'm not just critiquing him, I think a lot of us are like this, he draws that line between good and evil just outside of his own wealth. And we all do this, we, we limit the scope of the law uh, so that we're not guilty. So if I make $100,000, then I'm gonna say that's fine, but if you make $200,000, then you're you're evil, then you're a sinner. And that is why the lawyer asks this very important question, who is my neighbor in verse 29? He's asking that question so that he can limit the circumference of the people that he has to love by the law's demands. And that way he can say he's keeping the law. Because when he says, who is my neighbor, he's thinking that people who are like the tax collectors, like the centurions, certainly the Samaritans are not his neighbor, that he doesn't have to love them, that the duty of the law does not require him to love them. So in our case, it might be someone who's on the far left or the alt-right or someone who's a bigot or a social justice warrior and you don't think they count as someone you have to love. But we all do this. We, we limit the scope of the law, whether it be our wealth and greed or who is our neighbor and we do this so that we can justify ourselves that's a very important part of the lawyer's motivation here 
In verse 29, it says, desiring to justify himself. And if you don't understand that, you will not understand the parable at all. Because Jesus is striking right at the heart of that desire to justify yourself. That's why he tells the parable. Because the lawyer, like us, pretends that he can keep the law so that he can inherit eternal life by his own merit. So that he can feel like he earned it. And the desire to justify himself, the word desire there is a very strong word. It's like, a, it's like a little toddler when her dad is trying to help her open like a Christmas gift. And, you know, she stamps her foot and says, I do it. He's desiring to justify, to do it on his own. I want to do it on my own. I want to inherit eternal life on my own. I don't want help. I don't want mercy. I do it. Imagine your um, neighbor came over to you uh, across the street and, you know, he, he said, you know, I've been noticing your car last few times you've pulled up and left and your car is in pretty bad shape. And uh, I would love to help you. Can I help you with your car? And I don't know about you, but I would not like that if the neighbor sold, uh, I, would, I would feel like offended by that. I would say, who do you think you are telling me about my car? And who, who do you think you are coming to try to help me? You know, if they asked me for help, I'd be fine with that. I don't know how to fix a car, but I would be very happy that, that he asked me to do that. I don't mind giving out mercy, but I mean, who of us likes to receive mercy? Who would want to be on the other side of the, the soup kitchen line? And, and that's why Jesus says, it's not just that your car is in bad shape, your, your whole life, your soul is in bad shape because you don't think you need mercy. It's very hard to get people to take from the mercy fund at our church because we just don't want to receive mercy. And Jesus is saying, you need my mercy so much, primarily because you will not ask for my mercy. You know, why do we get so upset when, when someone tries to to help us, or if we feel like they're trying to show pity on us at all, it really makes us mad. We dislike it when someone acts like we need their help. And so here's this poor, pitiful, proud lawyer. He's standing right in front of his savior who is offering him eternal life. And the lawyer is questioning him like he's a child. And yet Jesus loves that lawyer and he loves all of us who are trying to justify ourselves he loves us so much that he goes ahead and tells him this parable. He sticks with him. He, he works with him. He's like, I'm willing to work with you where you are. And so he holds up a mirror to this lawyer and says, you know, this is you. Um, verse 30, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves. He was stripped, beaten, abandoned, and left half dead. And I think Jesus is telling the lawyer, that's like the state of your soul stripped and beaten and abandoned and half dead thinking that you don't need anyone's help. So that's point one. Uh, we're in desperate need of mercy. Point two is that uh, mercy has come to us at Christmas in the baby Jesus Christ. He came to show mercy. Notice the way that uh, Jesus brilliantly flips the lawyer's question upside down. Um, Either the writers of the Gospels were absolute literary geniuses or they were working with a literary genius that they were writing about because uh, the, the intelligence of Jesus here, the way he does this is really astounding. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the parable and then he says, who do you think was a neighbor to the half-dead man? So the lawyer is saying, who is my neighbor that I have to help? 
How many people do I have to help? You know, how big does my circle of concern have to be? And Jesus says, you need the help of anyone you can get it from. You need the help of even a Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Well, who do you think was a neighbor to that man? He flips the whole question. Jesus takes two swipes at the, uh, the lawyer's self-righteousness in the parable. Two different swipes. First of all, verse 31 uh, by chance, a priest was going down the road. Uh, the priests would have been like the moral leaders of Israel. The lawyer uh, may have been a priest, but he was certainly a scribe, someone who helped out the priests. He would have been very much on the team of the priests. But then Jesus says, but when the priests saw the man who was in the, in the ditch on the side of the road, the priest passed by on the other side. So that's the first swipe at the lawyer and, and the lawyer's group of priests. Second swipe is in verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him. Now, Levites were like the leaders of the leaders. Uh, they were the most holy tribe. And so the lawyer would have looked up to the Levites as like the most merciful people in the land. But Jesus says he also passed by on the other side. So Jesus is like taking these swipes at the lawyer's own sense of righteousness. He's trying to empty the lawyer of his sense of his own righteousness, his attempt to justify himself. Jesus is deconstructing the lawyer's attempt to justify himself. And he's kind of messing with his moral universe, if you will, because the priest and the Levite are now the bad guy and the Samaritan is gonna become the good guy. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, and remember they're in the region of Samaria, and the disciples hate the Samaritans, but a Samaritan, and they would have all, their ears would have, you know, perked up. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was, the half-dead man on the side of the road, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And look at the extent of his compassion. It's, it's almost impossible he went to the man, verse 34. So that's, he's risking his life because the robbers could be right around the corner, right behind the, the stone, you know, there where the man was. That's often the way robbers did it. Um, so he went to the man, he risked his life. He bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put the lawyer, he got off his own donkey. He put the, he put the uh, half dead man on the donkey. He brought him half conscious to an inn and he cared for him. So he goes, the Samaritan goes way out of his way. Just a ridiculous amount of mercy shown in the parable. Um, I was just trying to think of an analogy. Imagine you're driving you know, in the wilderness somewhere. Maybe you're in uh, northern Minnesota and uh, it's, it's, it's late at night. It's freezing cold outside, you know, negative 30 or something like that. And you, you accidentally run into a moose or something like that where you, your car is totaled. Um, you don't know where, there's no lights around you at all. You're freezing, you're about to die. And you wake up the next day and you're in the, um, you're in the Ritz-Carlton in Minneapolis. And you don't know how you got there. And you, you rush down to the front desk and you're like, what happened? And they say, you know, some guy came by um, and he, he, he puts you up in this, uh, in this room and apparently he is, uh, he's gotten rid of your old car and he bought you a new Tesla and it's out there and the, the, the valet's got it. He'll bring it to you. And, um, and he also left you with a credit card. He left you his credit card and it, it, there was a note on that said, spend whatever you need. 
I mean, that's the way, it's a ridiculous story. That's the way that the story of Jesus goes. It, it makes no sense. And imagine you look at the card and the, and the name on the card is like the person you despise the most, like Richard Spencer. You know, Richard Spencer is the, the racist leader of the, the white nationalist movement in America, someone you would absolutely despise. Um, that's the name on the credit card. I mean, how would, that, how would that affect you to have that occur to you? The person that you um, look down on the most, you hear them saying to you, uh, verse 35, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay. And what I'm saying and what Jesus is saying is that will actually break your heart and it will make you a merciful person. And you will stop you know, doing that to mercy where you hold it at arm's length and you'll actually realize you, you need mercy more than anybody. Um, you, you need mercy as much as anybody you know. There's only one person who could ever really truly say, uh, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay. There's only one person who's ever had that kind of limitless mercy and it's not you. You know, you're not the good Samaritan in the parable. I'm sorry, but that's not you. Uh, that's, that's Jesus. Uh, God come to earth, the one that humanity despised. We crucified him. We rejected him. We thought that he was horrible. He's the good Samaritan that we despise and he comes and we're half dead in the ditch, completely opposed to mercy. And his mercy is limitless, limitless. Whatever you need, I will pay it all. And that's what we have at this table. At this table, he binds up our wounds. He pays for our sins. He carries us into his house of grace.